Okay, one thing that I love about the Bible is often the Bible is describing these real historical events, and they're pointing to these earthly realities that were happening at the time, but also simultaneously they are pointing to heavenly realities. Like often the historical events in the Bible are pointing to and describing things that God is actually doing in history, even though the people in those historical moments maybe didn't always realize that or know that. Let me read from part of the Christmas story today that highlights that. It's going to be in Matthew chapter 2. The words will be on the screen. I'm going to read from the Message Bible because the kids are in the room, and I found that the Message Bible is a lot easier for kiddos to understand. So we're going to read chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Here's what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem village, Judah territory, this was during King Herod's kingship, a band of scholars arrived in Jerusalem from the east. They asked around, where can we find and pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews? We observed a star in the eastern sky that signaled his birth. We are on pilgrimage to worship him. When, the wor when word of their inquiry got to Herod, he was terrified, and not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem as well. Herod lost no time. He gathered all the high priests and religion scholars in the city together and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They told him, Bethlehem, Judah territory. The prophet Micah wrote it plainly. It's you, Bethlehem, in Judah's land, no longer bringing up the rear. From you will come the leader who will shepherd rule my people, my Israel. Herod then arranged a secret meeting with the scholars from the east. Pretending to be as devout as they were, he got, to tell them exactly, he got them to tell him exactly when the birth announcement star appeared. Then he told them the prophecy about Bethlehem and said, Go, find this child, leave no stone unturned. As soon as you find him, send word, and I'll join you at once in your worship. So, Herod is the king of this region in Israel, and these three magi, or the three wise men, or as this translation says, these three scholars show up and say, hey, we know from, from this star, from other things, that, that the king of the Jews was born because of this sign in the heavens. And Herod is terrified. Herod, he's so, he's so scared of this baby because it's a threat. This baby is a threat to his throne. He sees that this baby could have a right to the throne that Herod sits on, and Herod freaks out about it. He gets really scared. He starts to deceive the Magi to try to get them to tell him where uh, baby Jesus is. And then what ends up happening is some angels come to the Magi and to Mary and Joseph in some dreams and say, hey, escape, get out of here. Herod's up to no good. And so the Magi kind of sneak out a back way, and, and Joseph, Mary, and Jesus go to Egypt to escape. And then what happens is Herod is so bothered that he got tricked in the midst of this, he gets so enraged that what he decides to do is he decides to kill every two-year-old boy and younger in Bethlehem. This is how scared Herod is of someone having a claim to his throne. Now here's what's interesting. Jesus actually never threatened Herod's earthly throne. Jesus never threatened Herod's earthly throne. Yet, Herod is so scared because I think something in the heavenly reality was going on too. Jesus really was being born as the king of all kings. 
So part of Herod's fear was totally valid and totally legit because Jesus is the true king of all. N.T. Wright, he wrote this book, it's called When God Became King. And N.T. Wright thinks that the Gospels, one of the main points of the Gospels is to tell us that God has become king in and through Jesus. That is a huge part of the Christmas message. We, we've been in this series in Advent called Longing for Our Prophet, Priest, and King. And we've been looking at how we all long for prophets, although we might not call them prophets. How we all long for priests, although we might not call them priests. And today we're going to end the series by looking at how we all long for kings, although we might not call them kings. And what we've seen in this series, every step of the way, is that Jesus is the prophet that we actually long for. Jesus is the priest we actually long for. Jesus, today we'll see, is the king that we'll long for. Okay, and so here's what we're going to do. I just want to show you three quick things. I want to show you how the Old Testament people longed for a king. I'm going to show you guys that you and me long for a king. And I'm going to tell you that Jesus is that king that you and I long for. Okay, so let's see how the Old Testament people longed for a king. Uh, at one point in the story of God's people, they were oppressed by Egypt, and God rescues them from their oppression out of Egypt from an oppressive king named Pharaoh. Then he reestablishes Israel as their, their own people, their own nation. They end up turning away from God, though. God makes this covenant with them and says, hey, here's how our relationship will go. And time and time and time and time again, the people of Israel turn away from God. They turn to their own ways. They turn to their sin. They turn to other gods. They do they just constantly, this nation of Israel that God makes this covenant with, that God rescued, that God actually said to them at one point, hey, you're going to be, you're essentially going to display me to the world. They constantly fail at it. And God, God kind of just corrects them and goes, hey, come back to the covenant. Come back to the way of, of, of the people of God. Come Be who I made you to be. And eventually in their story, what they do is they go, no, instead of that, I think we're failing actually because we need a king. And so they go to Samuel, God, one of God's prophets at that time, and they say, Samuel, you kind of represent God for us. You kind of speak on God's behalf. We want a king. That's what we decided. We keep failing because we want a king. They were convinced, the people of Israel were convinced that if they had a king, they'd have a king that could fight for them. They'd have a king that could protect them. They'd have, that king would be able to provide for them. And I think they were convinced, like, hey, this is the missing ingredient for us as the people of Israel. Well, Samuel was a bit miffed about this, and God let Samuel know, hey, listen, they're rejecting God. They're rejecting him as king. But God still says, you know what? Okay, even though you're rejecting me as king, I'm going to give you this king that you desire, that you want. So the first, the first Israelite king, I love to call him like the Thor of Israel or the Chris Hemsworth of Israel. His name was Saul. He was just big. He was strong. He was beautiful. Like they were just like, he looked like a king, so they made him a king, and then he was a, not a great king. He was really self-centered. He was really full, like foolish. His heart was not after God. His heart was after his own self. So God removes Saul. Then this guy David comes along. We find out that David actually is a man after God's own heart. He loves God. He chases after God. And he begins to rule Israel in a lot of good ways. But then as David gets older, he falls into the same trap and some worse traps than Saul did. 
He ends up sinning in more grievous ways and all these kinds of things. He always, where the difference between him and Saul is he does love God and chase after God, but he still commits these grievous, horrible sins. And then after David, there's all these kings in Israel. And each king has his ups or his downs, but it's, it's mostly downs. When you read about the kings of Israel, most of them don't do the things that the people of Israel thought a king would do. Most of them are not the solution that the people of Israel were convinced that that king would be. So their solution of wine and king turns out not to be a solution at all. Now, here's what I find really interesting about us compared to the people of Israel. As I read through the Old Testament and I see how much they desired a king and how much that solution for a king was no solution at all for them, what I realize is we're not that different. You and me, we think some kind of king will save us. We think some kind of king will make us happy. We think that if we just have the right kind of king, then all the things in our life will go right. Right? We might not say an, a literal king. We might not say a literal governmental leader. But we think to ourselves, if we just have that right kind of leader, things will go well for me. That's the solution to my life. Things, I'll, we will be all set. Whether that leader is a mother or a father, or a coach or a teacher, or a boss or a pastor, or a husband or a wife, we often think to ourselves... If we have that good leader, that good king or queen, that's all I really need to be happy and to have the happy life that I'm looking for. Now listen, don't get me wrong. I think wanting good leaders and having good leaders are a really good thing. I'm not saying don't want those things. What I'm trying to say is the mistake that we and the Israelites both make is thinking that that will satisfy us, that that will complete us, that some leader of some sort will be all we need to solve every kind of problem that we have. We think some kind of king is the solution we need. Now, we're actually partially right. The Christmas story shows us that it's not a king of our own making that will make us happy, but there is a king that is God himself come to earth in the flesh that is worth bowing down to that will make us happy one day in fullness. And that king is Jesus. The Jesus that Herod was so threatened by. Something interesting in all these birth stories about Jesus, all throughout the birth stories about Jesus, Jesus is referred to as the son of David. Meaning that Jesus had royal lineage. Jesus was in the lineage of David. His great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather or whatever was David. And so in one sense... Even just saying someone was the son of David, they had some kind of right to the throne of Israel. But I think this son of David language points to much more than just an earthly reality and connection to King David. I think this language points to the promise that God made with David that would benefit all humanity. At one point in time, God took David and said, hey, I'm gonna bring a king who will sit on your throne, David, who will sit there forever, who will rule perfectly, who will be great, he will be the perfect king. And he says, I will do this through your lineage somehow. Jesus is the answer 
or the fulfillment to that promise. You and I and the people of Israel, we all desire a good king because we all were made to live under a good king. We just make the mistake of thinking that we can create that good king or we can prop up that good king or we can make some kind of good king of our own making that will give us those things. Only Jesus can be that good king. Only Jesus can be the king that brings happiness. Only Jesus can be the king that truly can provide for us. Only Jesus can lead us perfectly. Only Jesus can truly govern the earth well. Only Jesus can protect us from all evil. That's part of what the Gospels are trying to tell us. The king that you and I long for is King Jesus. And Christmas time is a time to remember that we all participate in that longing for that king. Because of God's mercy, he hasn't brought the fullness of his kingship or his kingdom yet, at least not in, in this earthly sense yet. And he's doing that, he's waiting as he brings in all that he can bring in to be saved. But in the meantime, as we celebrate Advent every year, as we celebrate this arrival of Jesus, the birth of Jesus every year, we, like the Israelites, long for a king, and in Advent, we can realize that Jesus is the only one that could satisfy that longing. So we, long, we, we take time every Advent to remember our king who arrived, but then also to participate in this longing of this king where we put away our earthly idolatrous desires for a king and we realize that Jesus is that king we long for. And we choose to long for him and to long for him to come back in fullness. Jesus is king. He's the king you desire. As the church we have the invitation from him to allow him that even while sin abounds to be king over every part of our lives. But until then, we long for that king. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for coming to earth as king. We need you as our king God. I think so often we long for a king, we come up with our own solution for that king, and then that king fails us, or we just worship it until it fails us. And so God, help us to realize that we need to worship you and you alone, that you are the king that we long for, you are the king we desire. God, I pray, as the kids are in the room this morning, I pray you do something special in them where they are kids that are uh, kingdom citizens that they just recognize and understand that you are king over their life, that this is something that's never hard for them to believe, never hard for them to give their allegiance to. God, as we worship you this morning, we thank you for the mysterious, miraculous, perplexing way that you came to earth where you became king. Help us to see that and, and worship you for it. Lord, we love you and we need you. Amen.